Welcome to Global Journeys with Jill Dutton, the captivating travel podcast that takes you on an extraordinary adventure around the world. I'm your host, Jill Dutton, and I am thrilled to be your guide through the mesmerizing tapestry of cultures, landscapes, and experiences that await us. Global Journeys with Jill Dutton is more than just a travel podcast. It's an exploration of humanity itself. Through the power of storytelling, we illuminate the lives of the remarkable individuals we encounter along the way. Whether it's through the eyes of a fishing guide, a distillery owner, a mixologist, a historian, chef, or even a farmer, each person we meet adds a rich layer to the narrative of culture and place. In this podcast, we embark on a transformative journey where the focus goes beyond the typical tourist attractions. Instead, we dive deep into the hearts and souls of the places we visit, uncovering the hidden gems and untold stories that make each destination truly unique. Join me as we venture off the beaten path, seeking authenticity, connection, and a deeper understanding of the world we inhabit. Together, we'll unravel the tapestry of cultures, one story at a time. Although my writing career began in the late 90s when I created and launched a wellness publication called Evolving Magazine, since 2015 I've worked as a travel writer on a mission to seek out the locally celebrated foods, liquor trends, outdoor activities, and stories of those I meet along the way. My work has been published in Wine Enthusiast, Afar, Woman's World, First for Women, Insider, Road Trippers, Modern Farmer, Chilled Magazine, and many more digital and print publications. I'm also the creator of Global Plates, The People We Meet, The Food They Eat, a syndicated column. Creating this podcast is the next step in my journey of sharing the stories of the people I've met along the way. So pack your curiosity, leave your preconceived notions behind, and let's embark on Global Journeys with Jill Dutton, where each episode promises to inspire, educate, and awaken the wanderlust within us all. In this final episode in a series about Ketchikan, Alaska, today we meet Naomi Michelson. Naomi is a member of the Eagle Wolf Tribe of the Shark House and is the owner of Kasai Training and Consulting. She weaves her work in prevention and education efforts through use of indigenous knowledge and value systems that are driven by cultural and relationship-based practices. By learning about how we gather, harvest, and prepare local wild foods, individuals can empower themselves and their communities. Local wild foods were used for centuries for medicinal purposes, ceremonial purposes, and to create the basis for healthy families. Alaska Native peoples were among the healthiest people on earth before colonization. It is Naomi's belief that the indigenous peoples of Alaska can once again be at the forefront of health and wellness. I met Naomi for the first time in 2022 when I was staying in Ketchikan for a few days. We sat down for a dinner and interview at a local restaurant. Hours of conversation later, I felt as if I had been gifted a small peek into this woman's generous, quiet nature and her life as a Klingic, as well as advocate for women, elders, and those who have experienced domestic violence. The Klingic language is beautiful and complex. The culture is faced with linguistic extinction, and according to the Endangered Languages Project, Klingic is critically endangered with only about 200 native speakers worldwide. During our phone call to record this episode, I admit to Naomi that I'm struggling to pronounce some of the words. She is kind and patient as she tells me to put my tongue in front of my teeth and make an L sound as I blow the air out to say Klingic. 
I stumble with the pronunciation, and the closest I come to is a version that is more like it starts and ends with a K. Naomi tells me that it's a beautiful and complicated language, and I agree. My Clinket name is Kase and Daudu, which are my grandmother and great grandmother's name. I'm a Wishkitan from the Shark House. And I am an eagle, the eagle moiety. My village of origin is in Berners Bay. And I live here in Ketchikan, which is home of the Sanyakwan and Tantakwan people here on Clinket Ani, Clinket land. And my father's people are from the Duckdane Tan, which are from the Huna area. I also have Filipino and Japanese and British and German and many other nationalities. So <laughs> thank oh, you. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for reading that. Well, thanks for joining me today on uh, Global Journeys with Jill Dutton. And I'm, I'm eager to learn more about you as well as the work that you are doing in, in Alaska and Ketchikan. Can you just give our listeners a little bit of a, a background information? I know you've tr- you said you've lived all over Alaska. What kind of led to you traveling and did you primarily grow up in Ketchikan or, you know, just share your background and your, your connection to Ketchikan's culture? Well, I've been in Ketchikan for, uh, let's see, I have to think about my oldest son, 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. So this is like the longest I've lived in one place, but growing up as a young girl, I, I traveled all over the state and lived in different regions around the state. So really it was great to be able to see different cultures and um, learn around about some of the different areas of Alaska, which is so beautiful and so different in, in all the different regions. Ketchikan is rich in indigenous history and culture. And I'm, I'm curious, how does the Klingit heritage play a role in shaping the identity of the community? Well, Ketchikan is home to the Sanyakwan and Tatakwan people, Klingit people. Mm-hmm. And so this is Klingit Ani, which means Klingit land. And it really does play a huge role in uh, everything that we do. And we're so blessed to be able to live in such a beautiful place. And as I like to say, I I feel like we have everything that we need right here, all the foods that we need, the uh, medicines that we we need, and we just have to figure out a way to work together and um, protect this place. Yes. Yeah. And and that leads me to your consulting and educational business. Then so is that what you do through that is educate people on on how there is everything that you need available? Yes, my hope is to through my business Kase Indigenous Foodways and my training and consulting business, uh, my hope is to connect people back to the land or to help people learn more about the culture here and the people of this place. Mm-hmm. Just and, and then I, I in turn I think it, people learn more about themselves as well. Absolutely. Wonderful. And Ketchikan, it's known for its stunning natural surroundings. And so I'm curious, you know, what are some of your personal favorite outdoor activities that really, you know, help you immerse yourself in nature and the area? So many, I think um, we know, I I feel like just getting outside is medicine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I love to um, get out in the muskeg. 
which is like a bog area, which is ancient. It takes a year, hundred years or more for the, some of these plants to grow back. And so it's so beautiful and quiet. And uh, there's so many different plants that you can discover and um, foods that you can gather. I love being in the forest, you know, that just, again, all the different plants and the trees and uh, the green, it's so beautiful here and just so lush. And, you know, living in this rainforest is, like I said, we have everything that we need. And then you could take it to the beach or to the ocean and, Mm -hmm. you know, just all the seafoods and the greens that we have. It's just, uh, it's kind of under, you know, it seems like you just can't see it all in a day. So, but I love all of those things. I love being close to the water. I don't think I could live anywhere else. I, I love to visit other places, but I have to be by the ocean. And um, and then when I'm gone from Ketchikan and I've, I've been gone for a while, one of my most favorite things to do is just to go out and step into the muskeg and um, smell the the Sikhshaltin, which is our Hudson Bay tea. And the smell of the muskeg is so, it's I can't describe it, mm-hmm. um, but it makes me feel at home. And one of the plant teachings around that tea is uh, belonging. Oh. Oh, I love that. So is it one that you use like with a community gathering type of thing? I mean, I know we had just talked about community meals and things like that. So is that where that tea would be real well appropriate? Oh, yes. They, it's served at um, Kuiks, which is um, another name for like the celebration or potlatch. Uh-huh. Used for uh, at different gatherings, also medicinally as well. If you make it a little a cup a day or so it could be prevention. It's great for colds, uh, flus in the fall time. And uh, yeah, lots of different ways you can use the tea. Excellent. As an indigenous foods chef, what are some traditional foods that visitors could try? And I know that's not an easy ask. It, you know, I mean, maybe the salmon berries at the wildlife area or, you know, I mean, is there a way that visitors can get a taste of some of the, you know, local foods, the indigenous foods. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, besides the regular, the salmons and the halibut and things that you can find in some of the restaurants Mm -hmm. is a little bit difficult because there's um, many regulations around, you know, getting the foods, but uh, I think berries are always really wonderful to to try. And in the summertime, you know, we could start with the salmon berries and uh, then there's, and there's the a blueberry beef. festival, isn't there as well? Yes. So we have a wonderful festival the first Saturday in August it's called the mm-hmm. blueberry. Festival. Okay. Um, we have, huckle- we have red huckleberries, salmon berries, thimbleberries, log cranberries, highbush cranberries, crowberries, watermelon berries, and gray berries, lots of different types of currants. And Forgetting a whole bunch more. Salal berries is another wonderful berry. We call them smiling berries. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, um, many different things. We There's spruce tips in the summertime also from the spruce trees. The mm-hmm. hemlock, you can have, you can infuse those in water and have it. You can use them in cooking. Spruce tip is uh, loaded with vitamin C. All of these berries are nutritious and delicious. Right. Oh, I bet that's an interesting flavor as well, the spruce tips. It's uh, being used a lot now more commercially in jams and jellies and beverages and salts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, fantastic. Well, speaking of food and foraging, I'm, I'm just curious, if you invited me for a meal, what would you forage and prepare? It depends on when you came. So mm-hmm. everything is personal, of course, but 
if you came today, I would probably make you a, a venison stroganoff with wild mushrooms mm. <laughs> and, and maybe uh, something that I've put up already would have been like make a beach asparagus salad with uh, some different um, greens that I've processed. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe a berry, some type of a berry dessert. Oh, it sounds delicious. <laughs> I just love it. I love fresh food. So could you provide me some insights into the work you do at Kasei Training and Consulting and how this enhances an understanding of the local culture? Yes. Some of the work that I've been um, doing in the last several years has been hosting um, plant gatherings for the community and symposiums, um, plant walks, providing uh, educational presentations and hands-on activities at uh, health fairs and uh, food gatherings, like food sovereignty is a hot topic. Mm. And also, you know, just the health of people. And I I think um, there's also been some discussions around people's concern about disrespectful harvesting. And so I've done a lot of work on sharing information about what I think respectful harvesting is Mm -hmm. and sharing some of that information. Very interesting. I know there's a variety of experiences, but you, you know, what kind of an experience could a participant expect when they engage with your programs? Is it cooking or is it foraging or educational or a little bit of all three? It's really tailored to what the person would like or what the, what the program. I know I work a little bit with the university here and we do a little bit of all of those things. And like we have a short weekly class and one week we might be out uh, on a field trip out on the land harvesting. Another week we might be making medicine with uh, whatever it was that we gathered. Or we might be cooking and sharing uh, recipes and trying some different teas. And so, yeah, that those can be done individually or in uh, large workshop settings. But I, I think um, the, the favorite for most people is, you know, getting outside together, mm-hmm. learning about the, 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 the plants and the foods cooking something together or learning how to prepare something and then the eating part. (laughs) Yes, always. Back to travelers. So when someone is visiting Ketchikan, how can a traveler respectfully engage with the local community and learn more about the Klingit culture um, during a visit to Ketchikan? Is that possible? Oh, sure. I'm so glad you asked the question. I, I think that is probably the most important thing that I'd like to talk about is and uh, to to maybe pass on to folks is that you know you could prepare yourself before you come to Ketchikan by learning about the area and the people maybe there's some things online there's the Clinket languages available for free online mm-hmm. you could learn more about the Tantaquan and Sanyaquan people and the history as well and maybe just try to learn a couple Clinket words it could be just learning about the history of colonization in the area and just more about the people mm-hmm. in general. You can learn, you know, when you get here, um, taking the time to, you know, just learning one new plant and or experience a, a different ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you haven't been in a, a muskeg. And so just kind of visiting uh, an area like a muskeg or in, walking a walk in the forest or getting out on the water you know, going to the beach or getting out on a boat and just, uh, you know, learning the, uh, and I think most people agree that this it's so beautiful here and that um, it's, it's a very special place. Yes. And so it naturally happens when people kind of come here anyway and get outside and, and then, um, you know, if they wanted to try a berry or some different foods from here, I think that's always a bonus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And I know we we mentioned the Blueberry Festival, but I'm curious, are there any specific events or festivals or community gather, gatherings that provide opportunities for cultural exchange? Are there are there events that, that visitors can attend? Yes, I think there's um, a lot of different public events throughout the year, um, sometimes through um, maybe the Arts Council or the different organizations like the Wellness Coalition, also the university and uh, some of the school type programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's uh, that and the tribal organizations, the Ketchikan Indian community here in Ketchikan also has um, different programs as well. A lot of the, um, there's some tour business too, that are indigenous that you, you can choose as well, that you can get out and talk to somebody that's, um, you know, from the area here. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you for that. Are there any initiatives or projects in place to ensure that future generations continue to connect with their heritage? There are uh, many um, initiatives. I think there's a, a real resurgence in the, the interest in mm-hmm. learning our languages. And also g- what goes with that is our stories and the history and the songs. Um, I think there's also, I didn't mention Cape Fox is one of the uh, organizations here that that have a tour out in the village in Saxman that you can Is that Cape watch. Fox Lodge? Um, no, it's the um, Cape Fox Corporation, and it's okay. the Saxman Village Tour. Mm-hmm. So you can tour through the village, and you know, walk through a carving shed and watch a, a person carving. You can oh, there's a video that you watch that can you can learn more about the people of this area, and then you could experience a visit into the longhouse, and they are um, dancing and uh, welcoming you there, and mm. get a chance to see the community coming out and, um, and, and also of course the totem poles that are there at totem park there. Yes. Very nice. We, we took a tour with an artist, uh, when I was on there and it was just, it was fascinating to watch and just the detail and, and, and the stories behind each one were, it was all fast. It was just fascinating. How do you envision Ketchikan evolving as a destination that celebrates both, both its past and its future? My hope is that Ketchikan is able to find a better balance between, mm-hmm. you know, both of those things, the tourism and some of the other industries and also protecting the place. And I, so it's really, uh, you know, it's it seems that we're at this place right now where we have to take some serious time to explore some of these ideas and how to do that because mm-hmm. I feel like uh, as tourism is so important to this community, it's also many of our community members and also the land is saying that this is a little bit much and how do we still provide, you know, a wonderful visit and also, but, but are we at capacity or what is it that we can do to, you know, make sure that the, the area is still well taken care of. Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. And, and finally, what message would you like to leave our listeners re- with regards to the, the unique cultural experience that Ketchikan offers to travelers? That as Indigenous people, I, we think of, you know, the plants and animals and our, our relatives as our relatives. Mm-hmm. And how, um, when we think about it as if it, this is where our family, to really come into this place thinking about this has, you know, has has been here for thousands of years. And that there has been a lot of disruption, but when you, you know, when you come and you see the beauty, I'm hoping that people really want to take part in, you know, helping to maintain the beauty of this place. And, and, and you can, people can learn 
and also contribute in lots of different ways, even after they leave. As Indigenous cultures, I think sharing is one of those things that have always been a part of our culture. Mm-hmm. So I think protecting what we love, the love for the land, the love for the foods and the love for the people. And that just to remember that we're all connected. And so I think that if we take the time to really get to know people in their in their homelands, we hopefully will be building stronger connections and relationships that, you know, go, go beyond uh, a visit because we know many people come back and many people, once they come here, they, they end up moving here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's all of our responsibility to take care of this, the land. Mm-hmm. And, and I think uh, we all love foods. I, I do anyway. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, a passion. So that, it's something that we could do to celebrate together. And, and it uh, really connects people. I mean, food in general just connects people. So together. And one of the sad things for me is that um, a lot of our foods and medicines are being sold, or maybe they're not being done in a, what I would call a respectful way. Mm-hmm. And all that's happening at the same time, you know, and it's usually for material reasons. At the same time, many of the elders in my community here aren't able to access those foods that, that are really dear to them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you could think about maybe what your favorite food is growing up and what it is today, but to not have that again ever is is really devastating. And so to think about um, our family and relatives up in the Yukon that do not have fish right now for mm-hmm. many, many and there's a lot of different foods that aren't as abundant. And so, you know, having, you know, just thinking about how everything is connected. And so if we take from here, it's going to, you know, we have to really think about where it might, you know, the equity and how can we be and live in more balance together as, in, as a community. And even though we have people from, coming from all around the world, I think of the world as a community and that. Mm-hmm. And indigenous people, we didn't have those kind of, you know, we had our our areas and places that we would gather and things like that. But we, we really were, you know, we traded and we, we were close to people that were from the can, you know, Canada, mm-hmm. and all over our different areas in Alaska, even though we weren't all the same culture. Yes. Well, it was it was such a pleasure to meet you in Ketchikan last year as and I'm just so honored that you're willing to share your story with our listeners because it's just it it it's a powerful message that we might not be aware of without your your sharing. So thank you so much, Naomi. I really appreciate it. This is a quote from one of my teachers and mentors that has since passed, and she was a very special Um, indigenous Alaskan woman and uh, teacher. We are free to be who we are, to create our own life out of the past and out of the present. We are our ancestors. When we can heal ourselves, we also heal our ancestors, our grandmothers and grandfathers and our children. When we heal ourselves, we heal Mother Earth. Dr. Rita Pitka Blumenstein.